Chapter 3, The Sauce. Be careful, do not spill. The sauce is expensive. As you build your pizza, the sauce represents your total expenses. It layers on top of your crust, which is your total income. Ideally, there will be some crust left over that is not covered with sauce. People who do not manage their expenses properly will spill sauce over the edge into the abyss of consumer debt. In order to not spill, you will need to have a clear handle on the size of your pizza crust before you dish up the sauce. The actual size of the crust is less important than knowing the size of the crust. By making a concerted effort with your spouse and exercising self-discipline, it is entirely possible to keep the sauce contained on any size pizza. It is normally best if one spouse specializes in managing the money. Either partner in a marriage is suitable, but some people are naturally more inclined toward handling money than others. Choose whichever spouse has the inclination or the highest skill level, and you too can be successful at managing your finances. As with any worthwhile effort, it all begins with a plan. A budget or spending plan is nothing more than a benchmark to measure the results of your financial choices over time. To some people, the word budget is frightening, but in reality, spending according to a well-constructed plan is a blessing more than you probably now realize. People who live without a budget or those who use a wallet budget are adrift. They have not set up guidelines to know if they have enough money to make a proposed purchase given all their other obligations. So they might choose to buy something just because they want it and figure it will all work out somehow. I think I just heard something fall into the abyss. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Luke chapter 14 verse 28. By contrast, those who use a budget as a tool will know in advance if a purchase, planned or otherwise, will fit on their pizza. An old adage rings true, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. When both partners in a marriage are dedicated to living within their means, money matters will be the easy part. Keeping it real. Your standard of living is created by the choices you make about where you live, how you live, and the consumables you purchase. A budget or spending plan needs to be realistic in order to work. Techniques for creating a budget will be covered later on. For now, it is important to realize that by sitting down together and crafting a plan before you make the decisions that will affect your standard of living, you can be in control instead of being controlled by your circumstances. Let me illustrate. Bill and Sue are engaged to be married. They are both currently in school, and while single, their parents have helped them with their college expenses. Sue wants to move into the new condos on the boulevard. Her girlfriend, Trendy Jones, who just got married, also lives there, and she likes the idea of having a pool and a weight room to use whenever they want. She has always had a gym membership. Guess what? Life is about to change. Bill realizes that with his part-time income, they can only afford to live in a basement apartment and will have to cut back on some of the things they have grown accustomed to while they were being partly supported by their parents. Heading into a situation that will overcommit available resources is like a train on a collision course. Bill and Sue have the opportunity to choose the train wreck, buying the new condo, or what they can really afford, renting the basement apartment. Too many couples opt for the train wreck because they are in love and want to please their spouse. After all, won't it just work out somehow? Can't we just borrow the money until we are out of school? What if there are spiders in the basement apartment? Your standard of living is dictated by where you choose to live, how you choose to live, and what you choose to consume. I have chosen the example of where you live first because once you sign a rental or purchase agreement for your domicile, you are making a long-term contract that will pre-commit a large chunk of the real estate on top of your pizza. Most of the time that decision alone will have the largest bearing on whether or not the rest of your sauce will fit on the pizza or spill over the edge. Due to the nature of contracts, a poor housing choice can be difficult or impossible to retract before the end of the contract. Decisions you will make in the two 
other categories above, such as how often you go out to eat and what toys you buy, will generally have a less significant but still very important impact on your plan. When you are weighing the housing decision, be sure you find out all the costs associated with that choice. Are there monthly dues to pay to an HOA, Homeowners Association? How much will utilities cost? What taxes and fees will apply? Are there special assessments? What about PMI, private mortgage insurance? How much fire insurance will I need and how much will it cost? That basement apartment is looking better all the time. I am aware of a young couple like Bill and Sue that bought a townhouse when money lending was fast and cheap. This was right before the credit crisis that precipitated the recent downturn in real estate prices. They paid nothing down, borrowing 100% of the value of their home. After adding in all the additional costs of homeownership, their monthly housing bite was over half of their income. Similar townhouses in the same neighborhood were renting for several hundred dollars per month less than the true monthly cost of ownership. Real estate always appreciates, they thought, so why not buy now and build equity, right? Wrong. The basement apartment would clearly have been a more reasonable option for this couple. They could have rented adequate facilities in their town for seven to $800 a month or less and saved 500 or more per month toward a down payment for the time that they actually could afford to buy a home a few years down the road. Now they are upside down on their loan like so many others who have who thought real estate values only go up. They cannot sell without borrowing even more money to pay off the difference between the current value of the house and what they still owe on the loan, so they are stuck. Wrong way. Had they measured the size of their crest and developed a plan before they jumped into a home purchase, they would never have committed over half of their take-home pay for housing. That makes it very difficult to fit everything else on the other half. Here is a handy rule of thumb. Your housing expense should not take up more than 25% of the available space on your pizza. Using that guideline makes things easy. Say your household income from all sources is $3,000 per month. You should not consider a housing option that costs more than $750 in total, including all hidden costs. If you can find something for less, that is even better. Where you live also influences how you live. Because the Joneses live next door, there will be social pressure to have everything they have, to go everywhere they go, and to buy everything they buy. People without a spending plan or budget tend to make financial choices in the moment rather than as a result of thoughtful, prayerful deliberation. Making impulse purchases is why so many people have lingering credit card debt. They compound the problem by making only the minimum payment each month. Very bad idea. The basement apartment, by the way, is a long way from the Joneses. If you choose it, I would bet that you will save even more than the difference in rent because of the subsequent choices you will make about how you live. I have seen real estate promotions touting mortgage payments equal to the cost of rent, but when considering housing choices, do not forget the hidden costs of ownership. Tenants typically do not pay for repairs to real property. Owners do. Need a new roof? HVAC on the blink? If you are a tenant, you will call your landlord. If you own the property, the buck stops here. If there is an increased tax assessment or an increase in HOA dues or a special utility assessment district created, you will pay. These entities have the power to levy liens against your property, so you will really have no choice. As a tenant, you do not have a long-term commitment. If your rent goes up dramatically, you can always move. Your standard of living is a choice. Our agency, or the right to choose, is one of our most precious gifts. We can choose to live within our means, or we can spill the sauce right over the edge. We can preserve our agency or give part of it away by being enslaved by consumer debt. The type of debt I am describing here is simply borrowing money for things that get used up or consumed. 
You might have a gasoline credit card in your pocket that you use to buy all the gas and repairs for your car. If you do not pay that bill in full every month, you are borrowing money for gasoline that has already been used up. If you buy groceries on a credit card and do not pay the bill in full every month, you are in debt for food you have already eaten. In chapter 6, Why We Are Slaves, Debt, I will cover the topic of borrowing in detail. But for now, please realize that you can choose a standard of living. Where you live, how you live, and what you buy will be choices that can fit on your pizza no matter what size your crust is. The important thing to remember is that your spending choices dictate whether or not you will live within your means. Decide as a couple that you will live within your means and be willing to make whatever sacrifices that doing so will require. Then find out what your means are and make a spending plan that fits. It really is not any more complicated than that. Living within your means might require your moving to a lower housing cost area, across town, or perhaps moving to a different state instead of living close to your extended family. The tapestry of life is woven by our choices and the sacrifices we are willing to make to accomplish our worthwhile goals. Needs versus wants. Have you ever considered that you can have everything that you want if you want the right things? Our needs are minimal and our wants are controllable. It is when our wants get out of control that we run into difficulty and are tempted by debt. Or, as many people do, we talk ourselves into thinking that wants are really needs. So what do we really need? Shelter, food, clothing, and in today's society, some way of providing mobility, although walking is not necessarily out of the question. Just about everything else falls into the wants category or is somewhat discretionary. But that is okay. If you only used up 25% or less of your pizza crust for shelter, there will be plenty of room for food, clothing, and a generous helping of wants. Counting chickens. A common trap that some are susceptible to is counting on money that is expected or anticipated before it is received. Some spend money using a credit card and figure that they will get a check in the mail before the bill comes due. But guess what? Some chickens do not hatch. That is the natural order of things. It is poor money management to depend on the outcome of uncertain income. When the money is in the bank, then go shopping, not before. It is also a good idea to not start looking for major purchases too far in advance of the time you will be prepared to buy. The reality is that you will probably find exactly what you want and be tempted to buy it too early because you think there will not be another one a month from now. Guess what? There will be. If you do not want to get stuck in this trap, then do not look. This principle has application in other aspects of your life as well. Get your ducks in a row first, have a specific plan, then implement your plan. Deferred gratification. Newly married couples sometimes need to adjust their lifestyle in order to get their sauce to fit on what might turn out to be a very small pizza crust. Not being willing to do without some of the things they have grown accustomed to while they were single is a common budget buster. Many young people feel like they should be able to continue the same standard of living that their parents provided for them without realizing that their very own parents had to sacrifice in the early years before they were able to provide an upgraded standard of living for their children. It is called starting from scratch for a reason. With patience and sacrifice, you will also be able to provide a very comfortable lifestyle, but in most cases you cannot start there. That is what I mean by building the pizza backwards, i.e. dishing up the sauce first and then hoping it will somehow fit. Some decide where they want to live, how they want to live, and what they want to buy, all sauce, and if it does not fit on their crust, too bad. They will just borrow the difference. You would be surprised how many people operate that way. Building the pizza backwards is the beginning of the end. The noose of debt has been set. 
Alternately, if you have chosen to live within your means and developed a plan where your needs and wants all fit, remember, you have to want the right things, then life is good, even if you are still in that basement apartment. You are free from consumer debt and are in control of your life and the decisions that affect the quality of your life. No amount of worldly goods bought on credit can replace the personal and companionship growth and satisfaction that will take place when a couple starts from scratch and voluntarily limits their consumption to less than their income. Do not be deceived by the consumption monster. The sacrifice will be worth the trip. Believe me. Less is more. Less is more is one of my favorite axioms, but it needs some clarification. When you begin to look at assets as liabilities or burdens because of the time your toys consume, then you will begin to understand what I mean by less is more. As a young couple, you may hunt down garage sale bargains every Saturday morning. We start out accumulating stuff because we need a certain amount to maintain a comfortable lifestyle. However, over time, the law of diminishing returns will certainly apply to the collection of this world's goods. At the point one has sufficient for his needs, then accumulating more just increases his burden. Ponder what Jacob tells us in 2 Nephi chapter 9, verse 51. Wherefore, do not spend money for that which is of no worth, nor your labor for that which cannot satisfy. Hearken diligently unto me, and remember the words which I have spoken, and come unto the Holy One of Israel, and feast upon that which perisheth not, neither can be corrupted. Our home in Provo, Utah was affectionately called an elephant house. It was very large and accommodated our family of eight and lots of extra folks very well. It was a great blessing and served us well at the time. But as our children, one by one, moved out to go to college or marry, it became quickly apparent that maintaining this huge home for just two of us would be much more burden than we wanted. We began giving things away in anticipation of moving into a condo less than one-third the size of our elephant house. This was hard for me at first because I had worked so hard to accumulate a house full of furnishings. But Sister Lindorf gently reminded me that although we could not use these things any longer, someone else less fortunate could. So the purging began. After a while, it was fun. A few years after moving into the condo, we were called on our first mission to Thailand. We left home with two suitcases each and lived very comfortably for 18 months, totally apart from all our personal effects. Letting go is truly liberating. It is surprising how little we really need in mortality. We arrive with nothing and we leave with nothing but we sure managed to accumulate much along the way. The more time I spend living on a mission, the more I appreciate the need to unburden my life of excess paraphernalia and clutter. The things we choose to collect along the way absorb a great deal of our time and can often divert our focus from the things that matter most. The distractions increase in direct proportion to the time and energy we devote to the thick of thin things. If you cannot afford to pay cash, do not buy it. The concept of either paying cash or doing without is so old-fashioned that I suppose very few today actually consider it to be a viable alternative. But doing just that is critical if you want to be financially sound. If you cannot afford to pay cash, then do not buy it yet. Figure out a less expensive alternative instead or do without. The larger topic of debt will be covered in chapter 6, Why We Are Slaves, Debt. For now, let us look at a few examples of things that young people often buy that do not fit on their pizza crust, so they borrow the money. Bad idea. Cars. Wait a minute, I thought mobility is one of our needs, not our wants. Okay, but you do not need a $20,000 car to get from point A to point B. A $200 or a $2,000 car will get you to point B and probably just as quickly. Actually, my first car purchased in 1966 from the original owner was a $20 special. I drove it for a full year and sold it for $25. I thought I made a killing. 
The point is that there are lots of different ways to get from point A to point B that do not involve having to get alone. Figure out which various means of mobility could work for you and pick the best one that you can afford. It might be a bicycle or walking or even a bus pass if you are living in that basement apartment. Or it could be a $200 fixer-upper if you want an adventure in auto mechanics. Read this next part carefully and I am being perfectly serious. When you can afford to pay $20,000 cash for a car, then you can buy a $20,000 car. Despite what everyone else might tell you about safety and dependability, which are just rationalizations to buy the $20,000 car, do not yield if it does not fit on your crest. Just say no. A $2,000 car that you save up for while walking, riding a bike, and using a bus pass will be just as safe and plenty dependable with no monthly payments. Taking a long trip or vacation? Not wanting to trust your $200 or $2,000 car for that many miles? Fine. Rent a car for your trip. If you shop around, you can rent a late model car for as little as $20 or less per day with unlimited mileage. That is probably a good idea even if you allowed yourself to be roped into buying the $20,000 car. After all, why put all those miles on your own tires? Leasing is another popular method of acquiring a vehicle, albeit misguided for most situations. The advantage, of course, is that there is very little to to no money required upfront and the monthly lease payment may be less than the monthly payment for a financed vehicle. While it is true you will have a car to park in the driveway every night for the length of the lease, it is not really yours and never will be unless you pay the generally exorbitant buyout price at the back end of the lease. So when the contract expires, you have to give the car back. You have nothing left after making all those payments. It is just like renting a car, but for a very long time. Or you can pay more than it is worth to keep your three to five year old car after paying every month throughout the lease. Does this sound like a win-win to you? Be aware also that if you happen to put more miles on the leased vehicle than are allowed, you'll have to pay a mileage charge for every mile of overage when you turn it in. Ouch. There may be a legitimate justification for some businesses to lease vehicles, but it generally does not make financial sense for individuals to lease who cannot deduct the lease payments as a business expense. Computers. You need a computer for school, right? Okay, that might be true, but just like cars, there are lots of ways to compute these days that do not require you to get a loan. If all you can afford is a used $75 junk PC laptop with a 20-minute battery, then that is what you buy until you can afford to pay cash for the computer you really want. These days, 2009, you can get a brand new netbook portable computer with Windows XP for as low as $239 or $179 refurbished. If you cannot stomach Windows, they also come with a Linux OS option installed for the same price. There's no reason to borrow money to buy a computer. Soon enough, you will have sufficient cash to buy the one you want, and the starter computer will work perfectly well until then. Engagement rings. This one is a biggie. Way too many couples end up going into Hawk to buy an engagement diamond, and then spend years paying it off. When I was younger and not as grounded, I did the same thing. What is a viable alternative when you want to impress the one you love? Save up and buy a ring you can pay cash for and get her a diamond on your 10th anniversary when you can afford it. Any girl you might want to marry who shares the same values will be more impressed with your solvency than she will by your extravagance. I did this one backwards. I bought the diamond when I could not afford it and a simple wedding band in Bermuda on our 10th anniversary. Guess which one Sister Lindorf wears? 
Want to buy a mobile home as an investment instead of renting? Hint, don't. Or maybe a luxury vacation that you cannot afford now because it is just too great a deal to pass up? Run away. Repeat the strategy described in the examples above for anything you want to buy that depreciates, gets consumed, or falls in the category of wants instead of needs. The cheapest one is rarely the best deal. Some people think I am a penny pincher. Okay, so maybe I am. This next part may surprise you. I have learned along the way that buying the cheapest option is rarely the best value in the long run. The cheap item is cheap for a reason. Somewhere they have scrimped on quality to offer the lowest price. Likewise, the most expensive option is rarely the best value. Somewhere between the latest and greatest and dirt cheap is the product that will give you the most service for the longest time. People who are not concerned about having the cutting edge on every new gadget that comes out are willing to pay a premium to be among the first. That is not you if you want the best deal. You will be able to buy the exact same widget next year when it is no longer the latest craze for significantly less. And after all, you are young. You should be looking at what will last longest because if it is something you really need, you will have to replace that item several times during your lifetime. Buy as much quality as you can afford to pay cash for, but remember, it all has to fit on the pizza crust. There is another tip from the Lindorf archives that my daughter suggested I include in this section, asking for discounts. Many people are uncomfortable in a bartering situation and they always pay the retail price. Boring. From my experience, there are a variety of discounts in almost every retail environment available just by asking. It never hurts to ask because the worst that can happen is they say no, and you end up having to pay the sticker price. More often than not, you will get the discount and have a story to tell at dinner time. Paying rent is not throwing money away. I wish I had a nickel for every time I have heard the myth purported that paying rent is like throwing money away. Where do people come up with this stuff? It is undoubtedly this constant nagging voice in the back of young people's minds that prompts them to get into a home mortgage before they are really ready. Do not listen to those voices. Let me debunk this myth and then I will share a few stories about real life. When you buy a pair of jeans, you exchange your money for something you can wear. When you buy food, you exchange your money for something you can eat. And when you pay rent, you exchange your money for a roof over your head. How is providing for your basic need for shelter any different than buying clothes or food? Yet you never hear anyone say that buying food or clothing is like throwing money away. Forget it. It just isn't so. The American dream of home ownership has its place, and it should most likely be in your sights as a viable goal, but probably not right out of this chute. If you are going to be in a home for two years or less, then in most cases it does not make sense to buy. When you factor in the real estate commissions for buying and selling, property taxes, the hidden costs of home ownership, and the market fluctuations in price, it is hard to come out ahead in just two years, even when you consider the mortgage interest deduction. Most people starting out in a career will move two or three times in the first five years after graduation. If you are hogtied to a house in a market like the one we are in now, it makes relocation extremely difficult. Even if the company you work for has an employee benefit of buying your house, if you are transferred, the price you will be offered is almost always below market. Large companies work through third parties who have to resell your home at a profit. Even if your company repays you the amount you lost on the sale, they are required to tax that payment as ordinary income. There are very few ways to stay ahead of the game. In my lifetime, I have purchased many homes and only made a capital gain on two of them. One we occupied for nine years and the other one for 10 years. This was during a period when residential real estate typically appreciated. Today, we do not even have the luxury of appreciation as an enticement. Two years is just not long enough. Every other house we owned except those two cost us money to sell when we had to move. 
The situation is even worse if you do not have someone ready to pick up your costs and you have to relocate anyway to keep your job. Then you have to worry about trying to sell a house remotely from another state and that never goes well. Do you rent it while it sits on the market, hoping your tenants will keep everything looking just right? Not. Or do you suck it up and pay a mortgage and a rent payment in your new location or worse, two mortgages? How long can you afford to do that? Very few people can fit the cost of two houses on their pizza simultaneously, especially early on. The alternative that will keep you out of this housing noose is simply to rent until you are settled in your career and when you plan to be in the same area for at least five years. In this scenario, besides spending significantly less per month on housing while you are renting, you will have the opportunity to save a significant amount as a down payment. Only then should you start shopping for a house to buy. Remember, paying rent is not throwing money away. In fact, it may be the smartest money you can spend. We will get into mortgages more in chapter six, why we are slaves, debt. But as a guideline, I would recommend you not even consider going into partnership with the bank to buy a home until you have saved 20% of the purchase price. During the time you are saving your down payment, your income will probably also go up. So you will more likely be able to qualify for a 15 year mortgage. If you jump in too early, the best you can hope to qualify for is a 30 year mortgage. I will be showing you soon how 30 year and variable rate mortgages are only smart if you are the bank, not the borrower. Stay under the radar. One reason people get pushed or push themselves into the housing market too early is the tax deductibility of mortgage interest. Buying a house can be a mixed blessing as already discussed when you consider that the IRS continues to raise the standard deduction every year for people who rent. That option for young couples is even more compelling. In 2009, the standard deduction is $11,400 for a married couple filing jointly. That makes up for a lot of mortgage interest and the headaches that go with it. The IRS calculates tax brackets and deductions for the masses. Remember all the people in the broad road? We took the road less traveled when it diverged in the wood. If you are disciplined in implementing the strategies outlined in the pizza principle, it will help keep you under the radar as far as taxes are concerned. My goal was not only to retire early, but at the same time I wanted to keep my income low enough to never exceed the 15% tax bracket. I did both, and you can too. You can make a reasonable salary without killing yourself and without giving it all to the government. My oldest son's starting salary before bonuses in his first year out of law school was more than I ever made in a year, even at the end of my career. But here is the rub. He also paid more in taxes than I ever paid. There is a sweet spot in all this, and I'm going to help you find it. 